from the Australian Taxpayers Alliance, this is Adipod. I'm your host, Emilio Garcia. All right, welcome back. Here we are at the Australian Taxpayers Alliance office, here with Brian Marlowe, the Executive Director. How are you? G'day. So let's get to this week's news, what we found relevant. We'll start with the calls for a zero blood alcohol limit for drivers in New South Wales. Uh, There was recently a really tragic event involving a drunk driver who ran over four kids. He was something over three times the legal limit for uh, for alcohol and driving, for drinking and driving. Mm -hmm. And this, for some reason, has fueled a call to say you now should be able allowed to have absolutely no alcohol in your system whatsoever whatsoever so do you want to get us started there yeah i mean this is the problem uh is a lot of these uh a lot of these knee-jerk reactions always seem to come from the health lobby Mm -hmm. uh because for some reason health bureaucrats think that they need to have uh input on every single aspect of someone's life now the issue is it's, it's come off the back of a really bad tragedy uh, but that person had already broken the law, was three times over the limit. Uh, so whether it was a zero blood alcohol limit or 0.5 or, you know, 0.1. Yes. Um, like, it's not going to help anything. He mm. was already incredibly drunk. Yes. Uh, and, and the thing that's not being considered here is that below about below the current alcohol limit, uh, the reason they have that is because below that, the alcohol in your system has no actual impairment on your body. That's it's, right. it's it's a decent indication of impairment, which is the key thing. Mm. Uh, so, for instance, uh, pea platers, for instance, can't have any alcohol in their system. Mm. But then what that means is there have been cases where a pea plater the night before has had some drinks, gone ah. to sleep, woken up, and they're well below 0.5. They're, yeah. they're 0.05. They're at you know, 0.01. Yeah, they haven't been drinking that we- day. Yeah, but they're they're even below what the acceptable limit for uh, mm. fully fully licensed drivers is. Yeah, they're at a limit that we know cannot impair you, yeah. and they lose their license. Yeah, so oh. it's it's just a stupid uh, knee jerk policy reaction, and it's like the family haven't even had a time to grieve and yes. uh, you know bury their children mm. yet. Health bureaucrats think that this is the perfect opportunity to then say, well, that's it. Yeah. No alcohol ever. No, and it's a very opportunistic as well because yes. then anyone who says, well, I don't think that that's a proper, the proper response is like, you don't care. That about... four children died? Exactly. Mm. It's like, well, it's, it's pretty disingenuous. Also, this isn't a number plucked out of uh, thin air. No. It's well based in research and academic research. We have research out of the University of Notre Dame. We have several groups uh, in the United States for the reduction of the harm of alcohol and drugs saying this is a perfectly like authentic and legitimate um, limit mm. that works for most people. And for some I, I just don't even really understand what exactly this is meant to address as much as just uh, awarding a little bit more uh, power to... It's just it's just a knee-jerk reaction by nanny status, right? Yeah. Uh, and they, reason to regulate it, you. Yeah, and they're using a very, very horrible thing mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a reason for why we should do it, conveniently ignoring the fact that this person was going to break the law anyway, regardless of what the yes. alcohol limit was going to be. Yes, that's exactly right. And uh, so I obviously we both oppose that because it's just not not sensical. And perhaps you saw my... Uh, 
interview on on uh, Seven News about this, or perhaps you didn't because they didn't use my footage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, needless when to I say, when I find the CEO of deleting my interview, yeah, the entire interview. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, all right, well, let's move past this and towards an issue that just had uh, our blood boiling on the day of. Um, there's there's obviously a, a travel ban with China mm-hmm. here in Australia because of uh, fears from the coronavirus, and so the minister for tourism came out with a statement saying that he was hoping that the federal government would come out with some kind of subsidy package for the tourism industry, similar to the one we're seeing for those affected by bushfires. Because they said, uh, you know, such a significant part of our income comes from Chinese tourists that now they're not coming, we should get subsidized. Yeah, so I mean, and and this is what's ridiculous, right? So it's like, okay, there are areas in Australia that have been completely annihilated Mm -hmm. by bushfires. Uh, We've been putting out calls to set up special economic zones that reduce tax burdens and, you know, regulations in those areas to help them recover more quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there are some government grants to help these affected areas recover. Right. Uh, So on the back of a virus, as well as, you know, some bushfire-related issues, the tourism industry has turned around and said, we need a handout because essentially we engaged in poor business practices that only focused on one group of people from yes. one area of the globe coming mm. here all the time forever. Mm. Yep. And now that's not happening, so give money. Yeah. And well, it's just really, like, so you're going to turn around to like a working class taxpayer and say, hey, I made, I made poor business choices, <laughs> so give me your money. Yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. Uh, Emily Dye, the policy director, and I were talking about this, which is a business generally has to diversify. Because if you're too dependent on one market, yes. one customer, anything, then you're vulnerable. Mm. And when you're vulnerable and something happens to that one market, that one customer, whatever, then your business is going to suffer. And so what they're saying is we failed to do our due, due diligence. There was, uh, there was this cash cow essentially coming from China and awarding us all the money that we could ever need. Yes. And then something happens and we're like, okay, well, our incompetence should be subsidized by the taxpayer. It's like you don't get to do that. Well, I actually think it drives home a wider point, though, which is that Australia is actually very reliant on exports from China. Right? Mm. I guess we export some. We export a lot of, uh, uh, you know, minerals and, sure. and and coal and and other exports to China. But we also uh, rely heavily on imports from that country. Mm. So you know, cheap consumer items, uh, random trinkets you can get on Wish, yes. plastics, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Well, I think this should serve as a warning, which is. Hey, uh, sometimes things can happen in countries that mm-hmm. shuts down their manufacturing for yep. a while, and that has global ramifications if they're the only country you're exactly. relying on. Exactly. So, you know, while I'm a big fan of trade, uh, again, we as a country should be diversifying where our trade is and not Absolutely. just relying on the Southeast Asian you yeah. know, region. That's just due diligence, really. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so I agree with you, and uh, hopefully they, they won't receive a single... A cent of taxpayers' mo- taxpayer money. Have so the to problem is, I, I guarantee you, they will because uh, you know bureaucrats and you know the bureaucrats are the unelected uh, politicians now, right? Oh, sure. Uh, and they just rubber stamp things, and ministers are too scared to go to war with their departments now. Yeah. So they'll probably just let it happen. It yeah. might not be. It might not be as much as they want, but mm. they'll get something. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously the poor people at the Shangri La or the. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows it's the Shangri-Laras, you know, just a struggling small business. Yeah, so, you know, we, we don't want to affect them too much. Uh, all right, so we have some other news on the political front. Uh, Richard Di Natale is gone. 
Now we're a nonpartisan group, so we can't say that we're thrilled to see him go at all. Yeah, we, I mean, we we, yeah, we don't really have any party affiliations, so I, I I can't for the life of me say that I'm so glad to see a careerist prick get kicked, uh, get booted, or we resign, would, quote unquote. Yeah, we would never say that we're absolutely just overjoyed. No, he is no longer part of our politics. We would no. never say such a thing. I would never say something like uh, that. But he's been replaced, and uh, you know, I'm kind of new to the to the Australian political scene. So, do you know anything about his uh, his replacement? Adam Bant. Yeah. Uh, Adam Bant. But this is the thing, though, right? So Richard Di Natale leaves, Mm -hmm. and I could never say that I'm elated to see that happen. Uh, I would never say that. We wouldn't. Uh, But unfortunately, he then gets replaced with, like, a worse version of Richard Di Natale. So it's, like, less moderate, uh, more insufferable, uh, further on the left than (laughs) Di Natale, which I didn't think was really possible. Uh, And... More of just like a generic sort of Twitter blue tick, uh, woke. Yeah, in terms of rhetoric, yeah, he's yeah. way more among the yeah. blue tick Twitter. In order to like cover up his like pure Marxist bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so a part of me actually hopes that this is the kind of stuff that will actually put off a lot of Greens voters because mm. when you actually look at Greens voters, they're champagne socialists. They're oh, yeah. wealthy inner city people. Mm. They have one of the highest median incomes of. Uh, party affiliated voters sure. people always joke about liberal voters being like you know the liberal party being the party of like uh you know upwardly mobile yeah. and in some respects that's true but there's a lot of working class people that vote liberal sure not many working class class people vote for the greens yeah that's true well i used to live in glebe which is like a stronghold for uh for for the greens and you know it's, it's funny to see greens voters you know kind of lefties progressives all that they kind of live as as conservatives, you know. They, yeah. they they espouse all these you know very kind of socialistic lefty policies. But then when it actually comes down to it, the way that they live, it's like yeah, you know, two parent household, two cars, lots of savings, uh, donations to charity, going to church, all these things that they do. So uh, that's not really relevant to to Dinatali quitting. But it is it is curious to see. Um, I mean, I I hope it's part. I mean, sorry, I can't say that I'm nonpartisan. Uh, I definitely don't hope this is part of a long-term uh, decline of the Greens. Oh, no. We would never say that. We would never say that. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Jank, uh, Jackie Lambie. Jank? Janky. <laughs> Jackie Lambie put, um, essentially is going gonna, is gonna to propose a bill mm-hmm. to end the flow of dark money, so-called, into political parties. She's saying that uh, essentially the, the burden of uh, transparency is too low that uh, this essentially opens up kind of like the, the avenue towards legal bribery. But this obviously has some kind of ramifications for freedom of association, what people should be able to do with their own money. So I, I kind of like Jackie Lambie. I think that she's very principled and she's voted in ways that we liked before. But I'm not exactly sure what to make of this. Yeah, the problem is it's like the way it sounds. It's like, oh, we're going to stop dark money flowing to politics. It's like, okay, what do you consider dark money? Right. Is it... Uh, you know, a business group holding a function and re- and fundraising because they want to, you know, represent the interests of small businesses. Yep. And then a senator goes, okay, yeah, I'll come to this dinner, uh, you know, and chip into my campaign. And actually, yeah, I will try and push to reduce, you know, regulations sure. on X, Y, and Z. Is that bad? I don't think so. It uh, depends, right? It depends. Like, it's on a scale. So it, it's one of these things where it's like, you know, to quote Trump, it's like, sounds good, doesn't work. Uh, like, right. it, 
Jackie Lambie, I think her heart tends to be in the right place. She mm-hmm. does tend to sort of fall on a very labour rhetoric side of things mm. uh, because she's a working class person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think in her mind, she's going, I want to remove nefarious, dodgy operations yeah. that happen between politicians and sure. private, you know, quote unquote, private interests mm. uh, or corporate interests rather. Mm. But... I'm always really skeptical of ham-fisted kind of crackdowns yes. because it doesn't actually solve the issues. Uh, I remember in America when they're like, we're going to remove the money out of politics, which means that you yourself can't make a donation to politicians of more than X amount. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, then what Microsoft does is they just turn out to all their employees yeah. and they go, here's your wage. Yeah. Uh, by the way, all of you make donations collectively part of a super PAC. Yeah. So it, it didn't solve anything, yeah. and it actually empowered corporations to of just course. like take money to give to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. it's it, 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 it yeah. This sounds is good. A, doesn't work of a larger legitimate grievance though that 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 voters can have and that our democracy does have, which yes. is having people with a lot of money just kind of throw buckets of money at a politician just to make sure that when the time comes that they want their support and voting on something. Mm. Uh, beneficial to them, maybe they're kind of on the hook because they don't really want to turn the spigot off, right? And so I, I think that the grievance is legitimate, but the way of going about it... Eh. The, the solution, I think, will just be ham-fisted and, and won't work. Uh, the, the key is more transparency, right? Yeah. Which is more obligations for, for uh, candidates and politicians to have to report where their money came from right. and who. Sure, uh, but the issue here is that like, it's more the burden is more on the donor now. Yes. Because now they have to disclose with a lower threshold. Yes. And a lot of people don't, you know, if you're an apolitical person, you have a business and whatever, but you have a political opinion and, you know, some interests. Yes. Now it's going to be public after? And, uh, all, and all the huge companies that make massive donations don't care already and they already disclose exactly. it. Exactly. So all so. you're doing is you're discouraging smaller mm-hmm. players who sure. go, actually, you know, I run a, I don't know. Sporting goods company. Kind yeah, of I run a sporting goods company and I, and I distribute to 50 stores in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I'm of a decent size, and I need to, you know, convince a sports minister not to completely, you know, mm-hmm. uh, com- uh, screw over this policy proposal. Mm-hmm. I'll start donating to their campaign. People like that also tend to go, oh, but I don't want the community yes. to know that I'm supporting one MP over the other. Big corporates like Westpac don't care. Oh, no. Because what they'll do is they'll give $100,000 to the Labor Party, mm-hmm. $100,000 to the Liberal Party, yep. see who wins, and then turn around and go, hey, remember when we gave you $100,000? Yes. Do X, Y, and Z. So it doesn't solve those issues. And I get that Jackie Lambie's concerned about, you know, corruption and corporatism and all those sorts of things. Sure, sure, sure. But she always tends to fall on the side of, of, so therefore the response is ham-fisted regulation. Right. And yeah, uh, you you may have uh, realized already we're not super into that here at the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. I do like ham. (laughs) Ham's good. Ham is good. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to ScoMo. So uh, ScoMo, you know, he has been on a victory tour. He's really doing well. His uh, uh, poll numbers are up. His polling uh, is just going yeah, up yeah. and up and up. He's, he's really been killing it recently. Mm. Now, Play, um, Playing to the middle has really worked out for him oh, uh, yeah, yeah. and trying to appease the left has, has really uh, reaped the rewards, as we've seen. <laughs> uh, so now what he's doing is he's actually seeking state approval to actually approve a royal commission into the bushfires. the bushfires. Now, here's what I was kind of thinking, which is there's nothing that can be shown in this report that will not immediately be taken by the political left mm-hmm. of Australia. And be Scott Morrison's and, fault. And, yes, and used against him. 
So what I hear Scomo saying is, well, I'm going to give the the side of politics that detests me and will never like me and will never treat me fairly. I'm going to give them a win, but luckily I alienate my own base. Yeah, it's it's a win-win scenario if you're not yeah. the Liberal Party. Um, it, it's one of these things, right? So it's like, okay, we're going to set up a royal commission. It's going to probably cost more than $100 million because most royal commissions cost a bomb. Yeah. Uh, it will then engage different departmental groups, and most of the people that work in those departments don't tend to be conservatives mm-hmm. uh, and don't tend to like the current government. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll put together reports. Things will get leaked to the media, which we know is totally uh, unbiased, uh, unbiased <laughs> and never errs towards uh, the left end of the political spectrum. Mm. Uh, and, you know, bingo, bongo, everything will be fine. And it's just, it, it's like an example of just like lazy, weird sort of centrism uh, yeah. where you think by doing this, it, it's one of those things where I, I guarantee what happened was, is, you know, campaign headquarters or Liberal Party headquarters sat down and they went, what are we going to do to try and manage this PR crisis? Mm-hmm. Uh, and someone said, hey, well, we've got some random research that says that people like royal commissions. Because what happened was a research company called up, uh, you know, 800 people and said, hi, when things go wrong, do you like investigations? And they went, yeah, yeah. of course, that makes sense. <laughs> and then they went, so therefore people like Royal Commissions. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, people actually don't. Uh, and I think they're actually getting sick of them. Mm-hmm. It's a token gesture and it's only going to blow up in their faces. Yes. And it's a waste of taxpayer money. It's gonna, I, I guarantee you it's going to cost probably around $100 million of taxpayer right. funds. Yeah. And, and, and to tell with, us what we already know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's unbelievable. Um, well, we, we already went a little bit longer. So, you know, I could talk about Scott Morrison's failings in the recent months for hours. But uh, I think we're going to leave it there. And we're going to turn now to a discussion that I had with Brett Heffernan, who is the director of the Brewers Association here in Australia. So stick around for that. And Brian, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I'm here with uh, Brett Heffernan. How are you? Great, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, For those who may not know who you are, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm the CEO of the Brewers Association of Australia. So um, my members are the major brewers um, across the country. Sounds great. So we wanted to get you on because this is an issue that really affects uh, taxpayers, Australian taxpayers in a pretty significant way, in a pretty culturally significant way, let's say. Uh, it, you know, the, the, the cost of beer uh, here in Australia compared to any other place is outrageous. I'm uh, originally from the United States, lived in Mexico for a little bit, and I can tell you I've never seen beer this expensive. Why is that? Well, basically, the single biggest component in the price of an Australian-made beer is tax. Um, Most people you speak to are shocked when they learn that 42% of the price of a typical um, carton of beer in Australia is tax. And the tax element eclipses all other inputs. So when we're talking about um, the ingredients, the cost of production, um, Mm. transport, logistics, um, even the the, uh, retail overheads and profit margins, tax is the single biggest cost in the price of a beer. That's incredible. So that's 42%, you said? That's right. So if you're looking at a typical carton at $52, mm-hmm. um, $21.84 of that has been taxed. Uh, and of course, as of this week, that goes up again. Right. And I believe this would be the 72nd hike 
Uh, the 71st. 71st. 71st, that's right. It was August of uh, 1983 that the government in its wisdom decided that um, automatic uh, increases regulated through the ATO would be the way to go. And the political history to that, of course, is way back in those days. Uh, for mm -hmm. those of us who are old enough to remember, um, every budget announcement was the headline was, you know, beer up and, and a variety of other things up. So this was a way of taking that sort of sting out of the announcement and also giving government... Um, clear air in terms of its own budget messages. And you'd have to say that's been pretty successful as a ploy uh, because, <laughs> as, as we've just mentioned, um, we're, we're talking 71 consecutive increases over that period, and most people simply aren't aware of it. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And, you know, uh, getting a beer... Uh, with a mate here in Australia, that's that's pretty that's pretty uh, core to the way Absolutely. that Australians interact with each other. And yeah, you're saying that every time that you go out and have a beer with a friend of yours, a significant chunk, not half, mm. but close to half, is going straight into the pocket of the government. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I suppose life doesn't get much better or much more basic than getting together with um, friends or relatives around a barbecue mm. or after work or whatever the case may be, and just relaxing and unwinding with a beer. Um, but uh, quite sneakily, um, over that 35-year period, you've been getting hit hard and hit relentlessly over that period. Um, and our proposition is that enough's enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm thinking here, uh, let's say you go to a bar to like a pretty, you know, simple bar of TVs on the wall uh, and you get a beer that would cost you anywhere between six and seven bucks, let's say, correct? Uh, well, I think the average price these days is about between seven and eight, but depending on what it is you're going for, uh, what your particular mm. taste is, it can be as much as $15 a, a, a schooner. Yikes. All right. Well, if we're not going into the high end sure. and we're staying kind of like within seven and eight dollars, uh, what do you think, uh, if you were king and you can kind of establish the proper uh, amount of tax on a beer, how how would that price look? How much would it cost for you to go and get a schooner? Uh, well, it depends. There are many ways that you can cut up the um, the tax pie in relation to the excise, the beer tax, uh, and the GST that's applicable to that. Um, one sure. of the things that people don't realize is they're getting taxed on their tax, and that is that the beer tax or the excise is applied, and then mm. the GST is applied to that tax. So you're actually oh. getting hit twice. Um, wow. But in terms of the actual pricing, uh, that would vary from pub to pub, to be frank. Sure. Um, and that's why we typically use... Um, 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 stubbies and cartons as the um, as the prime example. 75% gotcha. of all beer sales in Australia are via packaged beer, so you're talking stubbies mm. and cartons and so on. So that's where people feel the hit the most. Um, look, we've already started this conversation with government in terms of mm. saying it's too high, we're out of whack with the rest of the world, and, right. and Australia's drinking culture has changed markedly over the last few decades. So sure. the fact that this thing keeps ratcheting up and hitting people at a time when cost of living pressures are very, very pertinent, um, mm. we think the time is right to have a serious look at this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I suppose people who are pro-alcohol taxes would say uh, alcohol isn't a, a very a very good for you uh, just for your health if drunk in excess. Uh, it can cause people to be violent. And so having a very heavy tax on it can actually be beneficial for the greater society because then it disincentivizes uh, drinking. What, what, what is your response to that argument? Well, the evidence doesn't support that. Um, if you look at the, the comparison with the countries that we typically compare ourselves with, so 
Um, mm -hmm. Our tax rate at $2.26 per litre of alcohol compared to Germany, which is 13 cents, uh, Spain, 15 cents, the US, 31 cents, Canada, 35 cents, and even the Kiwis are about half of what we are. If you look wow. at their drinking rates per capita and their um, levels of um, harmful drinking, we're basically on par. So huh. if the argument held, then those countries with significantly cheaper prices in their uh, beer, or alcohol for that matter, um, uh, would be off the charts as far as alcohol harms are concerned. Uh, and certainly there's been a significant body of international research, including in Australia, that has looked at um, punitive measures as far as higher prices and restricting access uh, and mm. those sorts of issues. Um, and across uh, that research was actually conducted across 30 OECD countries, including us, and it found that price has no impact on harmful drinking. All it does is penalise people who drink responsibly. And when it comes mm -hmm. to Australia, 84% of Australian drinkers drink within recommended guidelines. So yeah. we've seen a significant cultural shift in this country in terms of drinking habits, um, marked improvement in uh, binge drinking rates compared to the rest of, rest of the world. Um, and mm -hmm. in those countries that have significantly cheaper prices um, uh, for beer, for alcohol in general, um, mm -hmm. we're basically on a par in uh, 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 binge drinking uh, and problem drinking. Um, mm -hmm. So the argument that price is a deterrent just simply doesn't hold water. Yeah, I agree with you. And I suppose one of the questions that would come up uh, right after you say this, and I think people would say, okay, well, that makes sense. And uh, Brett articulated his point very well. But I'm concerned that if we reduce the tax on alcoholic beverages now, let's say we bring it down to where the U.S. is, maybe even a little bit, you know, more subtly to where the Kiwis are, then all these people would become incredibly excited by the fact that there's all this uh, cheap alcohol. Uh, and so they'd, you know, just run to the bottle, oh, get a bunch of alcohol and, you know, rates would go up and it would be kind of a disaster. Um, yeah, I think that's a fair question. Um, mm -hmm. And some of the things that we've looked at in talk, talking to government about potential remedies here are not going to that extent. Um, we're very conscious of um, that being the natural catch cry. So mm -hmm. I think that anything that government would do in this space would be um, would be moderate. I think we'd be highly uh, optimistic to be saying that we're going to be on an equal footing with um, the US and others. Um, okay. But I think at the end of the day, people just recognise it's overtaxed. Uh, it is way out of whack with the rest of the world. And ultimately, what we're looking for is a little bit of relief. We're not looking for wholesale cuts that would, um, you know, potentially uh, lead to those sorts of outcomes. And okay. frankly, no government would 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 seek to do that. We're just simply looking for an, a, a way to make life a little bit easier given the cost of living pressures that Australians are facing. Sure. And so what do you think uh, if, if, if the government were to say, you know what, Brett, you're right, we're going to take your advice. Uh, ha what, what should the tax on beer be in Australia? What would you say? We're not trying to be prescriptive with it. We're happy to have that conversation with government because, mm. as I say, there are multiple ways that you can dice it up. One um, one suggestion that has been floated, and we've floated it as just a conversation starter, mm. is the the uh, first 1.15% of alcohol uh, in beer is tax-free. Now, we could lift that. We mm. could lift that to, you know, 1.5% for... Um, uh, uh, for packaged beer, maybe 2% for draft beer, given that there are greater overheads and job, op job opportunities in terms of um, um, pubs and clubs and so on. So there are many ways that you can dice it up. And even at that, and at that level, 
Um, mm. The modelling would indicate that the hit to the federal budget would be about $250 million, which sounds a lot, but in federal budgetary terms, it's really not. And um, in doing that, you would reduce, you know, the cost of a, of a slab by, you know, between um, $1.50 and $2. Um, and our argument is that at that level, you're not doing anything to promote people going out and stocking up. Um, mm. and, and ultimately, even if it is made, cheaper uh, if that's the current rate the idea that people are going to rush out and stock up just doesn't make sense um, yeah. uh, you, you you continue to enjoy your, your your beer when you have your beer at the rate that you currently drink it yeah well you won't hear any objections from me i don't think i disagree with you on any point any of the points that you've made so i think we're gonna we're gonna bring this uh, this conversation to a close so, Brett, if you have any uh, any last points that you'd like to make, only that um, you know the the basic proposition that we're putting is that you know a beer in Australia is fast beginning beyond the reach of ordinary Australians, uh, and mm. we think there's something fundamentally wrong with that. Uh, we think the time is right to have a serious look at it, um, and we're happy to have that conversation with government um, over you know weeks and months ahead. And we will certainly have more to say uh, in a public sense in the weeks and months ahead, so that um, people can have their say. Uh, I agree with you, and you have our support 100%. You know, uh, we uh, we despise uh, taxes in general, and uh, we also like beer. So you definitely well, I think have we 100% all despise of our... taxes in general. <laughs> yeah, and like beer. So no, this this is this is a political winner, I think. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for taking the time, and we'll talk to you soon. Great, thank you very much.